Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with head football athletic trainer at Northwestern University, Kevin Kikugawa. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I'm delighted to bring you Kevin Kikugawa, who is the head athletic trainer for the football at Northwestern University. So slide down a different route. Obviously, normally it's strength and conditioning coaches, sports scientists, performance coaches who come on the podcast. But it's great to get a different perspective every now and again. So I like to mix it up with some nutrition, some psychology. Um, and today we've got obviously the medical side of things from the athletic trainer's perspective. So naturally, given Kevin's expertise, we chat all about injury prevention, injury risk reduction, whatever you want to call it, uh, and how they go about things at Northwestern University. We also have a little chat around some common talking points, i.e. things that come up all the time and resurface every now and again, whether it be stretching, whether it be foam rolling, all different kinds of things that Kevin gives his opinion on and gives his experience in working with or not working with and whether he uses these techniques at Northwestern University. So a really interesting chat with Kevin, um, which I'm sure you will love. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs' performance intelligence platform to quantify the cost of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Kevin Kikugawa. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening, I am delighted to welcome Kevin Kikugawa from Northwestern University. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you having me on here. Nah, it's a pleasure. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, traditional podcast, um, well, podcast tradition for you to go through kind of bit of background on yourself 
uh, education-wise, what you've done before Northwestern, and what you're doing currently at the university. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, uh, before I actually got into athletic training, I, I was on the career military route. Um, you know, was starting uh, my university work by going through some military training and staying involved in that. And that's when I actually stumbled upon athletic training um, as a degree and as a career and ultimately switched my life upside down going after that. Um, so I started my bachelor's. I got my bachelor's in kinesiology at Washington State University. Um, from there, I ended up going to the University of Arkansas uh, to get my master's uh, of science in athletic training. Um, in between my two years at Arkansas, I was able to go and do an internship in the NFL with the Buffalo Bills, and that was back in 2010. Um, that enabled me to then kind of launch into a seasonal internship position with the Cleveland Browns that following year. Uh, so the 2011 and 12 season, I uh, got to spend with them. And uh, it was just an awesome experience. You know, for me, it just really kind of solidified the fact that I wanted to stick with American football as my career path and, and really kind of sink my teeth into the injuries that uh, one sees uh, with uh, football, because obviously there's a high amount of acute injuries, decent amount of chronic injuries, just really kind of giving you the whole gamut. Uh, but during my time with both those those teams really exposed me to some very professional staffs, which was uh, crucial for kind of setting the groundwork for my career and, you know, kind of giving me some goals uh, to shoot for. Uh, following my internship, I actually started at a high school, a secondary school uh, in back up in Washington and, um, you know, spent a year there before I, I finally was able to break into the collegiate ranks. So I started off at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, uh, ended up spending about four years there. Uh, that was my introduction to the collegiate system, really got exposed to a high level of healthcare in Dallas, uh, was surrounded by some really great physicians, athletic trainers, physical therapists, uh, all of whom, uh, you know, kind of taught me a lot as I was, I really started kicking off my career, uh, was able to get my feet wet, you know, multiple areas, whether it be concussions, ACLs, return to play criteria, functional movement assessments, um, just kind of down the line. Uh, also, during my time in Dallas, I was able to spend a little time with the Dallas Mavericks and the NBA, uh, which was where I really got exposed to a true high performance model where, um, you know, you see all these different departments and they're working fluidly together uh, for, for the benefit of the athlete. Uh, and also it exposed me to a lot of advanced technology, you know, whether it be the Delo system, Fusionetics, et cetera. Um, they, they really have a good system down there integrating uh, and collecting a lot of objective data. Um, after that, after my time in Dallas, I, I was able to get um, a position at the University of Nevada in Reno and, uh, and an opportunity to run their sports medicine unit as their director. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed my time out there. I was exposed to, once again, a great staff. Uh, I had really good uh, physician support, uh, but ultimately it, was, um, it wasn't a place that I was planning on spending a long time at just because it was under supported uh, by the administration. You know, it wasn't an opportunity for me to, to really grow the department. It was more reactionary than it was on the front lines. Um, so then when Northwestern called me about a year after that, which would have been uh, back in early 2018, um, and they offered me a, a position uh, to run their football um, team, healthcare. Uh, really jumped on the opportunity. Northwestern here in the states has a very high uh, reputation, um, you know, in being on the front lines. Uh, we're led by uh, Tori Lindley, who is also the NATA, the National Athletic Trainers Association uh, president. You know, so we've we've really been. 
um, on the on the front lines of things, exposed to higher level athletes, greater resources, etc. Uh, there was an opportunity to eventually get involved with some research. Um, and ultimate, and, and another thing too is just working with the coaching staff that was willing to utilize data to to make effective changes. Uh, that's something that is rare, I'd say. Um, you know, where you might be trying to collect all this subjective data to to help a, an athlete, but if ultimately we can't make effective changes based off that data, it kind of goes by the wayside. So uh, that's how I ended up here at Northwestern. Really been enjoying my time over the last year and a half uh, here. Really sinking my teeth into a lot of good stuff, working with some really good people, uh, and ultimately with some really good student-athletes. Superb. So you're solely looking after the football guys? That's correct, yeah. So at Nevada, I, I, uh, I worked as the, the head athletic trainer for football, but then also doubled up as the director of sports medicine here. Uh, it's just for the head, uh, the head football, just looking after those student-athletes. We do uh, really try to um, co-treat and, and, and intermingle, and, and I can absolutely work with a, an athlete of a different sport based off of maybe my clinical specializations. Uh, but for the day-to-day, it's mostly with football. Just give us a bit of an insight into what a day and a week looks like for your football guys at Northwestern. And the only reason I ask, and that might be a, seem like a pretty basic question, but for us guys in the in the UK and Europe, I still don't think, well, certainly I don't, and I'm definitely speaking for others out there that I know, probably don't really get a solid grasp of what it's like to work in a university, especially a big university with a big football program. Just give us a bit of an insight into that for us and the kind of demands that are on the student athletes that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely something that has been changing over the last decade where, um, you know, the athletes are sticking around campus more and more. They don't go home as much. Uh, here at Northwestern, we're actually on a quarter system rather than a semester system. So the opportunities for them to go home are, are far and few between. Um, and so really it's, you know, it used to be considered where you're in season, then off season. Well, at this point now, it's your your in season, and then you're in your non traditional season. Because as soon as we break from the season, which we will here in a couple of weeks, then essentially we're diving almost head on into our uh, winter uh, strength and conditioning program, and and that will continue um, into you know in the spring. Uh, then we'll have you know like some spring football going on, and then more conditioning and strengthening uh, um, through the summer leading up into the next season. So really, like it's a, it's an all year round deal for these student athletes, and it's um, something where you have to be willing to kind of compromise and accommodate the other aspects of their life. I mean, they're here as uh, football student athletes, and and obviously there's a high level of academics that go with that. Uh, so you're working around class schedules, you're working around tutors, um, you know, you're trying to get them uh, into their uh, lifting um, and strengthening uh, um, sessions. But then, you know, they might need to come do something with me with medical and scheduling doctor's appointments. So there's just a lot. Um, and not to mention, obviously, the fact that they have to prepare for the game, you know, maybe film sessions, uh, whatever it has you. So they get pulled in a lot of directions. But um, typically for us, you know, we'll get all of our um, – our physical stuff done in the morning, you know, we'll come in, we'll, we'll, we'll open up the athletic training room for some pre-workout, pre-practice treatments, whatever it may be. And then uh, they'll go into that uh, lift session, that practice, and then we'll continue on with the healthcare immediately following uh, rehabs, treatments, et cetera. Um, and then at that point, you know, you kind of, you kind of work with the student athletes throughout the remainder of the day, kind of based off of their av- availability um, around, like I said, those classes and, and all those other 
things going on. And, and um, what's really different about Northwestern is that um, it's a very prestigious academic school. So we work with student athletes that are not necessarily uh, majoring in uh, a general studies. Uh, a lot of them are pre-med engineers, uh, you know, high level communications where they're going to go off and be really successful. So a uh, very intelligent student athlete here at Northwestern. How is that as a practitioner working with them, like you say, the highly intelligent athletes? Does that, I don't know how that differs from your previous experience and, and collegiate athletes, maybe in a lesser prestigious um, academic setting, but I'm guessing that they're going to ask, they're going to ask good questions. They're going to want to know why they're doing the things that you're asking them to do or other staff are asking them to do. Is that something that is, would, am I along the right lines there? You're, you're right on point. Um, the fact is, is that they are highly intelligent. They ask great questions. They, they always want to know the why of why we may ask them to do uh, this, that, or the other. Um, and so it's, it's, I, I find myself having very cordial scientific conversations with these student athletes because they understand, um, you know, they, uh, like you said, they'll, they'll ask you pinpoint questions on, you know, why am I doing this treatment versus this treatment? You know, if the goal of this treatment is vasoconstriction of the blood vessels, this, that, or the other, like they'll ask questions, uh, very, very scientific and very detailed, um, you know, so for us as a medical staff, obviously, we want to tell them exactly what's going on with their bodies, why we're uh, doing what we're doing. Um, but uh, always got to be prepared to, to, to give them a great, good answer, um, you know, because that, you know, it's not something that we're, we're just trying to BS through. We want to we want to certainly give them uh, accurate representation of what's going on. But um, they certainly they certainly have a knack of acting some some really good questions. And, and for us to always make sure our plan of care is right on point with what is uh, best practice um, and, and be, um, according to the to the literature out there. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to a kind of injury profile for an American football athlete, is there some common trends that you see in terms of injuries? And then we'll dive into the how you go about reducing them, but it might be nice to kind of paint that picture first. Yeah, you know, obviously you have your, um, you could break it up obviously into the two categories of contact versus non-contact with contact injuries. You know, we'll see, we'll see a lot of shoulder uh, uh, labral issues. Uh, we'll see a lot of um, ankles, knees. Um, for, I'd say those are probably the, the higher um, uh, injury rates in those categories. And then with some non-contact, you know, the way we train, especially in the off season, uh, you're, you're really pushing the envelope with a lot of these training uh, cycles. And so at times you might come across some soft tissue injuries, you know, hamstrings, we're, we're not, uh, or we're definitely prone to, to having those as everybody else is. So we have to be mindful of, um, especially in the off season, a lot of those non-contact soft tissue injuries. And then in season, you know, we want to do what we can to prophylactically um, prepare the athlete for, for the game practice, whatever it might be to help reduce uh, the risk for certain injuries. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to something like, like a big one, that's obviously going to get plenty of attention, which is your, your ACLs. Is there anything in that area that you would, that you would kind of guide and work with the strength and conditioning coaches, sports scientists to actually try to mitigate, mitigate that injury risk for them, them big ticket injuries that these guys may be, may be, um, picking up yeah absolutely you know so obviously that that all starts in in the off season and and what we can do with their training and making sure that 
um, that they're they're hitting all the right body parts that they need to. But you know, we'll do things from you know we use a, a program called Fusionetics. Uh, for movement efficiency, and it, it not only looks at you know maybe certain joints of the of the body that uh, are a little lacking in range of motion, but then you can look at symmetry from right to left. So these are all things that we're we're attacking uh, in the in the off season. We've just started using Kangatech. I'm really looking forward to utilizing that. Um, you know, in an effort to once again look at symmetry of the athlete and then uh, address any weaknesses um that uh that it shows that uh, that student athlete might have but um it absolutely starts w- uh, with the programs that they have in the strength program and so that's something where the um the sports performance staff and my staff were constantly talking about um you know you know what is best practice out there you know what we see in a certain athlete maybe uh, they're reporting on their wellness that you know this body part's a little bit tight today whatever it might be so as it relates to ACL specific, you know, we, we certainly uh, have, have tried to do our due diligence with making sure that the, um, that the off-season programming is, is on point. And then when we get to in-season, you know, hopefully they've been trained well, their, um, their bodies are functioning symmetrically. And then, you know, for certain positions, um, we've really uh, tried to hone in on, you know, maybe prophylactic knee bracing, um, you know, because, for example, in an offensive lineman, a lot of times an athlete – uh, might get thrown into the back of the, or the side of their knee and kind of torque their knee. So uh, we'll have our, our big guys, our offensive linemen, our defensive linemen, our linebackers, they're all wearing prophylactic knee braces to help kind of cut down on some of that risk. So you mentioned a couple of technologies there. How do you, and we had a little bit of chat, a bit of a chat about this offline as well. How do you go about making sure the technology that you invest in as a department and obviously the, the university invest in, uh, is is along the right lines and do, doing your due diligence with that technology because this day and age there's i'm sure you'll get any emails daily from different technologies trying to get in and de- demonstrate to you and show the the benefit benefits of their system how do you go about that as a staff to make sure what in, the investments that you're making are along the right lines yeah, absolutely. So you, you definitely want to make sure that the you, you make the right decisions with per, uh, with your purchases. Um, you don't want to simply just buy everything that's out there and then just throw everything at an uh, at an athlete, hoping that something will stick and have an effect. Obviously, you want to make sure that what you do incorporate um, is either proven or that you can show proof down the line with what you've been using. But uh, you know, does it fit our complex systems approach? Uh, you know, obviously, we know that injuries are multifactorial. Uh, so I also feel that our approach to um, help mitigate some of the injury risk should be multifactorial as well. And, you know, one thing for me is looking at this technological ecosystem and and all these uh, technical devices or interventions or whatever we're trying to do. Does it all mesh well together? And are we kind of attacking uh, certain areas that we think are, are really important to us? Um, not just as an athletic training sports medicine staff, but also as a sports performance staff, as a sports nutrition staff, et cetera. So, um, you know, we really want to make sure that um, that it kind of fits in the in the system and the values that we have placed on that. Um, you also got to weigh the importance of the data that you're collecting um, on this, that scale of, of importance. Is it something where, you know, you obviously truly believe that this is the, what the research is showing is that it's going to have a positive impact um, on, on reducing that injury risk, uh, is the data actionable is, is something obviously too, that you want to be able to, 
to really hone in on. I remember uh, looking at a piece of equipment uh, a few years back when I was in Dallas um, and the amount of data that was spit out in this movement efficiency um, scan was enormous. It was just so much data. I wouldn't even know necessarily where to start at as far as making something actionable at, uh, with it. So you really want to make sure that, you know, the, the data that's coming out of what we're choosing to utilize is something that we can truly make um, a, a positive impact from. Um, you know, some of the items, you have an idea of what you want to go about uh, using the information and, and how you can make a change with it. You got to look at, is it realistic of an idea with the manpower that it will take to carry it out? You know, I mean, obviously, if we want to bring in Kangatech, uh, it's not just bringing in the unit and testing a guy. Well, how long does it take to test a guy? How much does he need to be on it a week, a day or whatever uh, in order for it to have it a positive outcome? So you got to look at the a realistic idea of the manpower. Uh, that it will take to actually make it a positive intervention. Um, you know, for us, athlete buy-in is really big. Uh, for We need to absolutely have great education surrounding a lot of the things that we utilize um, because, like we've already talked about, we have a, a really intelligent student-athlete. And so for us, it's really important to explain the why to the student-athletes here uh, so that they know what they're doing it for, what are we actually trying to prevent, or, or reduce the risk of, um, you know, so the athlete buy-in is obviously going to be big anywhere, but we put a, a high emphasis, especially on that education around it. Um, it's got to be something that our staff, our high-performance staff, our coaching staff um, are, is all willing to make a change based off of some of the outcomes of this data. Uh, so once again, just having a true belief um, that uh, some piece of equipment that we bring in is something that we want to take action off of. Um, you know, in the beginning, I think when we introduce some of these new pieces, like for example, with us, with Kangatech, it can be a little bit tough as you might be just in a data collection phase. Um, but for, uh, for me, what I always try to do is just start pairing a lot of that, um, data that we get, maybe the measurements, whatever, start pairing it with some time loss data that we keep track of, uh, to identify trends and hopefully therefore, uh, make some actionable change. So. Um, overall, just, you know, we, we don't take it lightly on what we want to bring in. Um, we definitely try to, to vet it as much as possible and make sure that it's, uh, that there's a lot of evidence surrounding, um, the, the idea that, the, that piece of technology is proposing. What does the conversation go like with the coaches in terms of we're looking to bring this in? It's going to provide X data. And how do you then go about trying to get that buy-in from coaches to inform them that this is the data that's going to collect and this is how we may change or look to advise you to change training based off the results. I'm guessing that's quite yeah, hard. Absolutely. That conversation is pretty pretty tough. Yeah, in, in a lot of other places I've been, that would be almost impossible. Um, but once again, I, I work with a coaching staff that much like our student athletes are intelligent, we have a, a highly intelligent group of coaches as well that understand that our space is constantly evolving and changing and and there's going to be a lot of data that we can collect to to make positive change i think one thing that you know we can always look back on right now is is our use of catapult and gps tracking and you know we've been doing they were collecting data long before i even got here and based off of a lot of these um trends that we were seeing we're able to make some uh true to life changes to even our practice sessions and, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something that you bring to the coach 
you 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 tell them why you think it's going to um, have a positive impact, and then um, you know you obviously present your case to them, and maybe they hear you, maybe they don't, maybe they think it has an effect, maybe they don't, but obviously from our perspective is uh, the proof is in the pudding, and with the numbers, and so the more numbers I can bring to that discussion, uh, they're definitely uh, open to to change. Um, and they've proven that time and time again uh, here at Northwestern, which has um, been very beneficial for our high performance team as we try to make uh, the appropriate changes. Awesome. So you've mentioned a couple of times about evidence and, and research. One thing that fascinates me is how practitioners and given that it's mostly a strength and conditioning guest or sports science guest, um, I'm really interested to hear how you do it from athletic training, athletic trainer's point of view. Is integrating that work that goes on in academia um, as demonstrating best practice, how you actually integrate that within an applied setting? How would you how do you go about that? Is there a system that you particularly use? Um, is there a sharing of knowledge within your staff and kind of working out how you're going to do that? How do you go about that as a system? Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, you know, I'll say that it really actually kind of starts with the culture here at Northwestern with our sports medicine unit. We've been, um, uh, we've been run by uh, Mr. Tori Lindley, who I already uh, told you is is kind of the leader of the entire athletic trainers organization here in the states. And so with that, he's been able to establish this culture here at Northwestern, where we're always trying to be on the front lines. Uh, never necessarily just being reactionary. We always need to be up to date in what's coming out in the academia world. And so by uh, with that in mind, uh, we're always trying to stay current in the literature. And so we have these uh, regularly staff uh, teachings. You know, every week in our staff meeting, we'll have a journal club and we'll, you know, the assigned AT will bring a, a journal to, to discuss um, you know, that's out in the literature, literature. And obviously if there's, uh, there's a lot of discussion that comes from the, that, those readings and, uh, maybe there's, um, some action to be taken from those as well. Uh, we also meet as a, a, a group on, on a monthly basis with our, what we call our grand rounds, uh, where we bring in an outside speaker, you know, maybe they're an expert, um, in, for example, our last month was a, a teacher of mindfulness and effective communication. Um, you know, and so we really wanted to hone in on not just effective communication with the student athlete with each other, but then learning different tactics uh, along the lines of mindfulness. So um, really trying to, once again, learn from um, others real world and, and their professions and their expertise. Uh, another example is we have evidence-based work groups uh, within our department. So every year uh, we get a group of staff members together and they look up all the evidence uh, on a certain topic. So for example, last year, uh, they wanted to look up as much uh, evidence as they could on various recovery methods, you know, so whether it's pneumatic compression, active recovery, etc., they, they did essentially a lit review on, on what's, be, uh, what's out there on some of these recovery methods that are being utilized throughout um, our world. Uh, this year, um, you know, I'm taking part of the evidence-based group, and we're looking specifically at acute chronic workloads and uh, what does the literature all say on that? And through that, are, are, is there anything that we need to make an adjustment either as um, an individual or as a department? Is there something that we need to, to do based off of some of that evidence that's out there? Um, but I think also at the same time, you know, we always try to go off of best practices, uh, sometimes with various modalities, devices, tech. Um, some of that stuff comes up ahead of the literature. Um, and so 
you know, you might rely initially on some of the anecdotal evidence uh, based off of a student athlete, like, hey, do you feel like that intervention, that treatment, do you feel like that was beneficial? And, um, you know, so you might rely a little bit on some of that uh, in the beginning, but then obviously you want to corroborate that with what the literature is saying down the road. So just jumping ahead to this year's lit review that you're, you're involved in with the acute chronic ratios, I know it's something, a topic of discussion, especially in the um, sports science world, and I'm guessing the same in, with athletic trainers. What's your what's your view on it, and how do you think is the best way to go about integrating it or integrating it at all in your programming? Yeah, it's definitely something that I've been interested in learning a lot more about, which is why I was excited that this was the topic chosen for this year. You know, I've only read a couple articles here and there, but, you know, it, it just makes sense. You know, we, we it matches up with like a rehab, for example. You want to progress them accordingly through this uh, timeline. If you go too hard, too fast, then all of a sudden maybe you have a little bit of a setback in that rehab. If you go too slow, then all of a sudden we're not challenging enough uh, challenging the body enough to make the adaptations it needs to, to heal. So it only makes sense to me um, as far as this acute chronic workload goes um, and how it's talking about performance. And so for us, what we want to do is <clears throat> we really want to try to pair it with uh, the catapult data that we're taking, uh, the rate of perceived exertion, uh, subjective ratings that we're getting from student athletes, and try to get a, a, an, a, um, an account of what that previous two weeks, four weeks, three months looks like for the athlete and are they staying within this range that we'd like them to um, in order to make sure that they're being challenged appropriately and then also at the same time not being, not shooting up on a certain day, um, you know, which could uh, uh, heighten their risk for injury. So, you know, something that uh, we, we use Smartabase uh, for our um, medical records uh, system, uh, but through that you know, we're able, it's a pretty powerful program to where we can get a lot of information dumped into there, dashboards created, et cetera. So I have something called my RPE load report. And right now it looks purely off of the RPE of the student athlete as we have them fill out this subjective um, uh, survey after every training session and after every game um, to kind of keep track of where they fall in that acute chronic ratio. The next step for me is I want to kind of, I want to pair that with our catapult because we, we know that the RPE is just going to be this internal, um, uh, load pair that with the external load coupled with the catapult data, um, would be, I think a little bit more or a lot stronger. Uh, but then, uh, also on top of that, I don't want to just rely on the RPE and the student athletes take on it. Uh, eventually I'd like to get some heart rate data with that. So we get a true representation of the internal load that's being placed on the student athlete, couple that with the external load, and then ultimately have the smarter base kind of spit out this nice uh, acute chronic uh, number at us to kind of see, hey, the athlete all of a sudden spiked uh, with their uh, exertion this day. Um, you know, we'll have to kind of see how they're reacting to that maybe over the next day or two after that. But also on the flip side, if they're not being challenged enough, like, man, we might need to increase that intensity a little bit to keep them within, within this zone. So I'm, I'm interested in learning a lot more about it. Definitely a topic that, you know, not only want to re read all the articles that are out there, but also just listen to other uh, experts in the field. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Kevin. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, as I mentioned at the start, we're just going to dispel some myths and get Kevin's opinion on some 
hot topics, well, they're always hot topics, stuff like stretching, dynamic and static stretching, foam rolling, stuff that, and topics that keeps coming around every, every couple of months, something will come out which will spark some debate, and I just want to get Kevin's opinion and his experience using or not using some of these, um, some of these techniques and, and protocols. So just before we do get into part two, I just want to say a big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box are a performance gym manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland, and they're doing some really cool projects. Um, or have done some really cool projects over the last couple of years. Irish rugby being one of them, obviously gearing them up for the World Cup that was over in Japan um, last month and month before. And some really cool projects in Australia, in Europe, in the UK. So if you're looking for a full gym fit out, or you're looking just to add to what you've already got, definitely consider the guys at Black Box Fitness. If you want to check out some of their recent projects, head over to their Instagram. Got a really cool Instagram account, at BLKBoxFitness. And if you want more depth, more in-depth information, head over to their website, uh, BLKBoxFitness.com. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for also sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. Awesome, just before we move on to the next topic, which is the kind of integration of the strength and conditioning staff at Northwestern, I just want to touch on what you mentioned about the mindfulness and effective communication uh, expert that you had come in and talk to you guys. What what What's your thoughts around mindfulness and how it can potentially be integrated, not only with the staff, but with the student athletes that, that you work with from a performance, mental health, psychological health point of view? Sure. Well, I mean, definitely mental health has been um, something that uh, it's not just Northwestern, but I think just across the country uh, with this new generation of students uh, definitely have a heightened awareness for mental health in general. And so we always want to make sure we're we're treating the athlete holistically, uh, not just as an athlete, but as a person. You know, for me, you know, you don't necessarily want to treat the injury. You want to treat the person. And so um, definitely taking that approach. Uh, in, in our sports medicine unit, um, and then also our sports performance coaches are doing the same, our nutritionists, our dietitians are doing the same. And so it's, it's something that's at the forefront of our minds just because you've seen uh, with a lot of uh, student-athletes um, these days, it's, it's something that we're trying to constantly reduce the stigma of is mental health um, throughout the country and, and, and have athletes speak up when something may not be sitting right um, and have them seek out help when before they may not have. So uh, it's, it's something that we've, we've been uh, seeing more of uh, over the last five, 10 years 
um, and want to continue to address to get better at it. And so, like I said, I think the biggest thing is is ultimately treating the athlete holistically and uh, and making sure that all the departments and the resources that we have available to the student athletes is um, is just uh, available to them and on point. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, like I said before, the normal guest and the normal, no, I say normal, the more regular guest is like an SNC coach, sports scientist. So it's really great to get you on from a, an athletic training perspective. But one thing that'd be really interesting to know, and from my experience and potentially yours as well, in certain departments across certain institutions, clubs, there's there's often a um, a butting of heads between an SNC department and a and a medical department. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how do you go about reducing that, and how how do you ensure that throughout the return to play process that the people involved, the people that should be involved, are involved, the right points, the right time, and everyone's on the same page? How do you ensure that happens at Northwestern? Yeah, that's that's it's definitely a great point, and I'll say this that I've I've actually been really fortunate in my career at all the institutions that I've been at to work with really quality strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, sports performance coaches, dietitians, it's people that, you know, it have been easy to, to work with, to compromise with, to, to create plans with. So I've, I've been on the fortunate end of this. I have heard from, you know, colleagues across the country that maybe at times they don't have that same luxury. So uh, I definitely don't take that for granted. But, you know, something that we do here to, to really help um, mitigate some of those issues are we have our high performance model. You know, so inside this model, we have athletic trainers, we have sports performance coaches, we have dietitians, we have sports psychologists, we have um, academics uh, 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 members to a certain point, uh, coaching representation, team physicians. So really, we have a, a large high performance model with a lot of different departments talking about the student athlete. What does the student athlete need? Uh, a lot of times, obviously, you'll see a lot of that crossover. And so... Um, you know, where, where what an athlete needs might be from two or three different departments. So getting these people in a room together and talking about the student athlete is crucial. Um, that's kind of what we have as a, a whole. What we do on uh, kind of a boots on the ground deal is we have our, our athletic trainers, our sports performance coaches, and our dietitians. We all meet on a weekly basis. And initially it might be, say, covering the injury report. What does this athlete need? What does that athlete need? Um, in order to help recover from their injuries. But then it also gives us an opportunity to, to talk about, um, you know, just our plans and goals as a high-performance team. You know, so like I said, we, we meet together weekly. We analyze data together. Um, you know, one thing that I've really enjoyed with our sports performance staff here is, you know, especially in, say, for our uh, return to play, return to run um, uh, deals, we, we work on this together. So when an athlete is say coming off of an ankle injury where you know we did some anti-gravity treadmills we did some pool work you know now they're at the point where they're getting on land uh able to do some land running progression we have an at and a sports performance coach uh working with that athlete simultaneously we discussed the plan ahead of time you know one thing that i think the reason why there's been a lot of butting of heads between these two departments at other institutions is because in athletic training, our world is very fluid, uh, where you have to constantly adjust to, you know, the, what the body is telling us from a pain perspective in that athlete's rehab. You know, maybe you pushed it a little bit too far the day before, and so you have to back off a little bit that next day. In strength and conditioning, it, it's a lot more black and white, where you know exactly what you're going to do on the third workout of that 
uh, uh, macro cycle or whatever it is. So you take you take one entity who's used to working uh, with very concrete lines and very structured when over in um, sports medicine, while we might have an idea of where we should be at any given week, it may or may not be there based off of the response of the athlete. So we, we've been able to navigate that really well with just high level of communication. Um, you know, we always want to present to the athlete that both of our departments are on the same page, you know, so having one of each member standing there with the athlete as they're going through run progression certainly uh, gives the athlete confidence that it's, it's a plan that's well-structured between both units. And, um, you know, that's how we've, we've, we found some success. And, and obviously it's something that we can continue to get better at. And we, we always look for ways to get better. And, and I certainly look forward to doing that. So. Awesome. So you mentioned the ankle injury there. I don't know if that was just a, like I say, an example or something that you've gone through recently, but it'd be great to get an example of how you do integrate across the, like you say, a return to play, return to running, um, protocol. Would that be possible? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I did bring up an ankle cause we have a guy that, you know, just for example, started his, his land running progression portion today, you know, so in the beginning, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're trying to, to manage not only the pain, but the swelling of the, of the injury as it happens acutely, uh, obviously, uh, continuing to build up strength, uh, uh continue to increase range of motion of that, of that, uh, joint so that, um, as, um, we're able to get, get it moving more. He's obviously, uh, hopefully seen a decrease in pain, increase in strength. Uh, but for me, you know, early motion is great motion. I always try to get, uh, that joint moving as soon as possible. If I can get the athlete, even say on day two of a ankle injury, if I can get him in the pool, kind of moving around a little bit where when he's unweighted or in a alter G or boost treadmill, uh, or in that anti-gravity setting, you know, try to get them moving that ankle in as normal a fashion as possible. I'd like to do that. Um, and then obviously you just take them, you progress them through, like I said, based off of kind of the symptoms, um, you know, pain, uh, swelling, strength, all that stuff. You keep, con- uh, progressing them through that, um, uh, through that progression. And then once we get to the point where, you know, for example, you know, for us in an anti-gravity treadmill, if they're able to run at say 80, 85% of their uh, normal body weight at that point, we're comfortable and we're ready to get them on land um, to, to continue that run progression. And usually we'll start in a linear fashion. You know, that's when, you know, I, have really relied heavily with our sports performance coaches and, and making sure that, uh, while, you know, the plan might be to start with, uh, linear running, having that, uh, sports performance coach analyzing their, their running gait and making sure that it's where it should be. And they can give cues better than I can and teaching points to the athlete, you know, what they might need to change to be more of uh, their normal running style. And, um, so, you know, so we'll work our way through some accelerations and some, uh, linear speed stuff. And then after that, once they're, once they're able to get, um, through that, uh, set of the protocol where, you know, once again, kind of increasing speed, uh, to the point where they're able to run, maybe not quite all the way to top end speed, but pretty high up there, um, pain free, then, you know, we'll introduce more change of direction, more agility work, some plyometric work, et cetera. So, um, once again, it's, it's always a very fluid thing and, and with rehabs, it's never the exact same. There's no cookie cutter approach, um, to, to any given rehab, but, uh, for the most part, that's kind of the template that we follow. Superb. So just for the next 10, 15 minutes before I let you go, I'd love to 
cover some topics that are always always come up in discussion when there's uh, a bit polarized uh, would be a pretty good example um a good description of these these couple of points and i'd love to get your views on them and the first one which I know there's been a bit of research come out in the last couple of weeks, which has probably rejuvenated this argument of foam rolling. And just pre-train prep would be the, the kind of overarching theme of these next couple of points. I'd love to get your 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 your, um, your views on foam rolling and whether you do use foam rolling at Northwestern, whether you don't, when you use it, when you don't use it, what the athletes think of it, what the sports performance staff think of it, just to get your overall thoughts on on foam rolling as a as a modality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll, I'll explain quickly then. I guess our uh, our pre-training prep and what we typically have done. Um, you know, so we we really try to push the concept of individuality and specificity um, to each and every athlete. It's a lot more challenging than it might seem, uh, only because our roster is 105 guys. You know, so to come up with a very specific and individualized plan for all 105 can be pretty challenging. A lot of times you especially in American football, you know, you, you tend to group uh, them by positions and say, oh, this athlete need, or this group of athletes needs this, uh, so on and so forth. But, you know, for us, we really want to try to hone in on the individual's needs. So we usually start with a wellness report, give the athlete an opportunity to tell us, um, you know, what's going on. Maybe they, their hamstring is tight that day or their shoulder is really sore from the workout the day before. And then with that early morning reporting, you know, we, we have a chance to review this. We have a chance to discuss with our sports performance coaches, and then maybe we make an adjustment uh, based off of what that wellness report looks like. So, um, you know, if they have a tight hamstring, we know that they're a high risk guy for a hamstring, or maybe we know the workout that day uh, might put them in a precarious situation. We will all, we'll have an alternate workout for that athlete. So that's one example. Um, you know, we've used the program of Fusionetics, which uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, but, uh, it's, it's essentially, uh, the FMS functional movement system, uh, but in a more technological based approach, uh, what their model is, is very similar. You take them through several motions, um, and then you're able to find, uh, little compensations that the athlete has. And then through this program, um, you're able to develop a very specific plan, uh, based off of their, um, maybe their asymmetries, their lack of range of motion at certain joints, etc. So, um, it's based off of the national Academy of sports medicines model where, um, the, the program that's, that comes from the, the scan is you first start with inhibiting the muscle. So we'll do that with foam rolling. Then you go into lengthening the muscle with stretch, uh, activating the muscle with a various exercise, and then a functional re-education uh, exercise just to help everything fire up the kinetic chain. Um, so we utilize that once again because it's helping us be very specific and individualized uh, for every athlete. Um, and then we go into our dynamic warm-up uh, and then on into the, the workout for the day. So it uh, certainly seems like a lot, but it, it feel like, we feel like it gives uh, the athlete uh, ample time to truly warm up. We've had great feedback with especially the wellness. Uh, that's been uh, really helpful, especially as I've run uh, numbers on our time loss reports. Um, 
as it allows us to make uh, um, adjustments for the athlete's workout. Uh, the Fusionetics, you know, has is, is been something that, uh, once again, we've, we've seen a lot of guys uh, take this uh, workout and, and really hone in on their weaknesses, seeing a lot of positive outcomes from that. Guys moving better in the workout, moving better in the weight room, um, you know, and, and, and obviously a, a portion of that is foam rolling. Uh, that is something that, you know, we, we continue, continuously want to look at and see if this is doing exactly what we do. But um, I'm big on fascial uh, constrictions and fascial constraints uh, with a lot of injuries. You know, sometimes you might see a muscle tightness and think, oh, their hamstring muscle is tight. But um, if you do a little bit further evaluation and workup, you might find that it's actually more of a fascial constriction than it is a muscular one. So it's something that um, you know, I think, uh, as of right now, we get good subjective feedback from the athlete that they, they find it helpful. They find it, uh, to where it's, it's having an imp a positive impact on their workout. Um, so we'll use that Fusionetics, um, you know, pretty regularly as we go through our workouts. But as far as foam rolling goes, yeah, that is something that we utilize right now. Um, you know, we have the organized system of having it pre-workout, but then, you know, if, if an athlete chooses to use it outside of it, uh, outside of workouts, maybe as a recovery method or something, um, that's kind of up to them. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Does it fit into your recovery protocols? But that's absolutely fine. Covered that off. Um, so next one, probably this has been a, a bone of contention for probably tens of years now, <laughs> and that's stretching. Okay. <laughs> um, is that something that you utilize a dynamic, static, before, after? Is that something that how, where does where does stretching fit into this? this pre and post training prep? Yeah, I'd say we're, we're pretty much along the lines of the norm of, of uh, most institutions where, you know, you, you do a dynamic stretch uh, before and then you do a, a, a static stretch, uh, stretch post. Um, something that I've also been looking uh, at reading more research on is that truly the best way to go about it. I know a lot of times we kind of get stuck in, in old ways and so – um, much like we've talked about in us as a sports medicine department, constantly diving into the literature and is this truly the best uh, way to, to prepare an athlete uh, for a workout or, you know, are we making the positive changes that we think we're making uh, by having them do that dynamic stretching uh, before the activity? Uh, and then on the same on this, on the flip side, are we making enough positive impact with that static stretching post uh, definitely something that I'd like to continue to look at, uh, but that's what we currently do at this time. Cool. Nice, easy one. So last but not least, and this is something that I've seen quite a few pretty more sports performance coaches utilizing pre, um, pre-practice, and that's breathing exercises. Is this something that you've got experience of, would use it Northwestern, have used previously? What's your, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of our grand rounds that we had uh, last year uh, was uh, one of our chiropractors who's who's very skilled. Um, he's, he's definitely a very learned individual, uh, having taken a lot of courses. Well, one thing that he came and taught us on was breathing techniques. And we had him, you know, come through and and, specific, and he's also not just a chiropractor, but he's also a, um, a professional uh, body lifter. And so, you know, we had him come in, just quickly assess maybe some lifting techniques on some of our individuals, and he could quickly point out 
you know, maybe this individual's breathing technique is weird or they're not firing appropriately or whatever. So it is something that we actually introduced last year to our guys where we almost we, we made it a part of our pre-workout deal, running through five to ten minutes of very simple breathing exercises um, to try to essentially prepare the system for um, what it was about to go through. And hopefully they would carry over a lot of these breathing techniques into the lift, into the workout, etc., Definitely something that is a work in progress, as um, as you well know, a lot of times guys just kind of fall back into their old habits when they are doing the bench press or whatever it is. Um, you know, but it is something that we've tried to incorporate. Uh, we will continue to try to incorporate it with our guys. Um, you know, as just subjectively, you know, our, our some of our sports performance coaches felt like it was having a, a, an impact, uh, a positive impact. Um, now the the challenge is is are we truly having an impact or is there some sort of measurable um, way we can uh, assess that? That's some of the things that we're working through right now, but definitely something that's been on the forefront of, of what we've been mm-hmm. doing. Now. Is there any ideas that you guys have got in terms of making that a measure, measurable to see how, what impact you're having on the guys? Uh, at this time, no. <laughs> and so okay. uh, welcome, yep. welcome to all ideas, um, <laughs> you know, but Right, right now, obviously, you, you hate to just rely on subjective feedback, um, whether it's the student-athlete or the coach. You know, for me, I'm a big numbers guy. If, if there's some way for me to kind of see that, you know, obviously we could maybe look at, you know, PRs in the weight room, um, you know, as far as the mass that they're able to push. But uh, I'm, lo- I'm looking for something a little bit more concrete than that. Um, so currently under investigation. Mm-hmm. Cool. Really, really interesting. I said I promised to keep you to the hour, which I'll I'll try my best to stick to. But anyone that wants to catch up with you and and see what or hear about what your you and your guys are doing at Northwestern, or just ask you some general questions on what we've spoken about, where's the best place for people to reach out? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm more than happy to to talk with other professionals and and share ideas and. Um, you know, that's one thing that I'm really big on, which is why I've really enjoyed your podcast is, uh, is just kind of learning from other individuals and their experiences and, and the data that they're coming across. So for, as far as contacting me, uh, we have our nusports.com, uh, website for Northwestern University Athletics. You can find me under the staff directory and my email is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, but yeah, absolutely look forward to conversing with other professionals in this space. Excellent. Are you a social media guy? I do have Twitter. Um, okay. And so that's just my name at Kevin Kikugawa twenty four uh, is my handle. Um, yeah, and so I that's I, I go on uh, Twitter for sure to get a lot of uh, you know information on what others are doing as well. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. Really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks for giving up your time on a Monday afternoon to speak to me. Absolutely. No, I really appreciated the talk with you and um, certainly enjoyed uh, our discussion. Perfect. Thanks, Kevin. Speak soon. Yes, sir. Thanks for tuning in to episode 271 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Kevin. So big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, to I Measure You, to Black Box Fitness and Kitman Labs for sponsoring this episode today. Hope you enjoyed this chat with Kevin. Like I said at the start, a little bit different. Obviously, we've had an athletic trainer on, not a strength and conditioning coach, performance coach, sports scientist, whatever you want to call us. Um, And just getting things from a different perspective, which I like to do every now and again. So thank you very much for your support. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to share, subscribe, all the good stuff. Um, Share the love on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, 
etc. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks again for your support and I will chat to you next week.